All right. And that's it, huh? It's like that. We are live. Um, hopefully, people start trickling in. Is it already up on Twitter? I have no idea. What a, what a fascinating thing. It is pretty fascinating. All right. Yeah, look at us. Oh, this is odd. I'm looking at the Twitter, and there's me just moments ago <laughs> picking my mustache. <laughs> All right. Well, um, do we want to put a little graphic up as we wait, as we see if people show up? Yeah, for sure. Bro. Let's have some oh, fun yeah. with it. Are, are like comments going to come in here? Well, that was a delightful little uh, introduction. Hello to everybody watching. Got a couple people on Twitter, maybe some others elsewhere. My name is Max Cohen. I'm the uh, lead writer at the Museum of Crypto Art. I hope you can hear me. Uh, joining me today, as I suspect and greatly hope he will every week, is the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Colborn Bell. How are we doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to be here. Thanks for putting all this together. This looks fun. Um, you're very welcome. We have uh, a couple live streams going on YouTube, on Twitter, on Twitch. Um, if you're watching, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, if you click the if you click the link and follow us to restream, I believe um, we got a chat going. So we invite you to come on in, say hi. We're just gonna shoot the shit about crypto art um, for the next half hour, forty minutes. So we're very happy to have you here, Coborn. What's on your mind? Oh man, you know, I, I go, I go through waves. Like I, I don't, I look at it now and I just don't see the same thing that it was when it started. And I'm just so curious as to like what the point is, what the zeitgeist is like, where is the art now? Um, are you talking about just crypto art or the whole kind of NFT ecosystem? I mean, maybe even maybe even the whole ecosystem, period, right? Because, you know, I guess, I guess this story goes back, right? It, it goes back to like cryptocurrencies, the ICO boom is, is what is this all chugging to and what is really like the sustainable nature of it? Uh, you know, I think we've proven that we can have like bootstrap markets that we can create this fervor. And I, I, I guess change is meant to be incremental and not exponential. And I, I really wish change could be exponential. 
Well, I think it's so interesting because I think that we are in such a weird space that has no clear mm, primary area of interest, right? Whether it's finance with an art inflection or whether it's art with a financial inflection, mm. right? Because I think it's kind of self-defeatist to ask, you know, where is this going with an art movement, right? As far as I am aware, um, you know, at least for the last hundred years, right? Since like the modernist era, like art movements just kind of flow one into the other, um, right? I guess the point is like self-sustainment. Um, but I'm not sure if we are in this new paradigm, right? Where it's a financially motivated market that happens to be about art or that the like financial aspects, which I think is what you're referring to and correct me if I'm wrong, is subsidiary to the art, in which case, you know, how can we predict where it goes? It could only self-sustain, right? The, the, the art in the beginning was more indicative of like the collective power of all those artists together, right? And then once money came into the equation, it became incredibly individualistic, right? And then everybody's meta, instead of experimenting like on, on their own, was just to follow whatever trend was the latest thing. Right. So, it was like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please. No, I was just saying, like, let me ask you for posterity's sake. When you first came into the space um, or first started getting involved here, like who were the artists that were controlling the zeitgeist? I think we could probably name a few of them today, but I'm just curious in your opinion, who was like vocally, you know, there leading the charge as this thing kind of grew? Yeah, I mean, you can find a lot of the, the people on the artist council of the museum. Right, like Sarah Zucker, Matt Kane, Hackatow. Um, you know, I, I like Fabien Rashid, Arc 4G. I just, I, and I don't, you know, I just don't see these voices any more as much. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is like a Twitter problem. I don't know if the thing has kind of become so fractured um you know robness and max kind of on like this this outsider uh you know art element and and really just pushing more of like the wild spirit of it uh it it was perhaps like more segmented and logical and and you know now i don't know there's no direction i find it lacks direction well, I think that that's an interesting grouping of artists that you mentioned, right? Because, you know, you add like Miss Al Simpson or Coldy into that mix and it's all these For artists sure. who have very, very distinct styles, right? Um, and I think even this many years later, what, four or five years later, you can probably pick up all of those artists or pick them out. If you just saw a glut of artwork in front of you, you would know which was Sarah Zucker, know which was Robness, right? Know which was, mm-hmm. um, you know, Coldy or Arc 4G. And I think it's much more difficult now because there's nobody who doesn't have imitators, right? X copy might've been the first person doing, you know, glitch in a big time way or among the first, but now, you know, there's a thousand people, thousand artists who are all very talented, very competent, right? And maybe that's the rub, right? Is there so much competence that is following in these pathways that these original artists, you know, made out for themselves. So hard to tell where it's going to go, at least aesthetically. And I mean, those artists are incredibly commercially successful, right? It's, it's really sad when it's like the value begins to accrue into like the aesthetic and style that is derivative 
of somebody who kind of like pioneered it and, and really brought it forward. Mm -hmm. I have an issue with that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, the market does not incentivize people like going out and developing it. It incentivizes people kind of like following trends. Like even after Beeple, it was just like a massive, massive wave of just like 3D art, 3D art, 3D art, uh, all in the same style. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that's like the natural way of things, I suppose. You know, I, I know a bit about art history, but not enough to know, you know, who was the first surrealist or who was the first abstract expressionist. But I would have to imagine that, you know, after Pollock started splattering paint, you know, that there was tons of imitators. You know, I think some of the things that I so love about this space, especially as like somebody who's still recently and newly acquainted with it, right? Like it's accessibility, for instance, and right, the accessibility of the tools it provides. Um, you know, being able to create digital artwork is a lot more accessible to a lot more people than, you know, a Jackson Pollock where you would need the paint, you would need the canvas, you would need the room to experiment, you would need the middleman, the gallerist, um, mm. you would need the, you know, uh, exhibitionist interest, right? But what you have with that accessibility is just a deluge of everything, right? I mean, that's partially, I think, influenced by the fact that crypto art's on Twitter, but it must also be just the nature of the art making, right? I think it's just the nature of the times, right? Attention spans are, are incredibly scattered. People are constantly moving from one thing to the next. Um, you know, the ability to rapidly learn things is, is very accessible, right? So you can try and like, you can work backwards on styles. You can work backwards on pe people's algorithms, their codes, how they do things, their practice. Um, to the point where there is like no almost like master of anything anymore because somebody just like comes up immediately under it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that one of the things, and again, correct me if you're wrong, but one of the things I'm hearing you kind of infer is, you know, having the financial aspect of this market be, unpredictable and also like we can't really escape the market makers and you know where do we go when these market makers have a very set idea of who they want to promote and what values they want to promote but when you have so much artwork some tastemaker is going to come in and say for whatever reason this is better than all the rest this is worth more money than all the rest and that's inevitably going to lead taste in a certain direction we saw a lot of that man and we saw a lot of artists i think suffer because of that right because kind of once you pop if, if it's not sustainable, the only place left to go is down. Mm. And I think that was a lot, that was a big mistake. You know, there's not enough, I was talking with Magnus Reich about this. There's like not enough history. There's not enough known about these individuals that, you know, people, you know, there, there are very few speculators in the art market, right? Like the collectors that are there are there to make an investment, right? They trust their advisors they trust that there is like a network of people that is going to like support and prop these things up. And those support systems don't really exist for artists in this space yet. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it's really difficult when like the artist is given that expectation and they don't have a team of people behind them, like supporting the marketing, telling people about their work, telling people why their work is incredible. Um, and once you kind of like, 
take off. You, I mean, I think that's why we've seen so few artists mint like no new work. Mm. Well, I think that goes into the question or something I'm interested in talking about, which I don't think we've discussed is the open edition phenomenon that we're kind of seeing at the moment where, you know, from a very momentary perspective, from my perspective, at least, and, you know, I'm never like super cash flush, but I love the opportunity to own stuff by these collectors. But there seems to be a lot of discussion about the long-term effects on careers, on finances, on the space that these open editions are, you know, essentially like promising down the road. I mean, what do you think? Um, what do you make of this whole trend? I mean, look, I've, uh, from the day Nifty Gateway introduced it, I thought it was an incredibly dirty mechanism because like, how does, <laughs> how does this, you know, unless, right. Unless there is, uh, in, unless like we achieve it and there is this incredible democratization of arts and people are so hungry for the past, but the fact of the matter is, is like we just keep adding more and more and more and more content. Like, do I believe Ethereum is going to be here? Yes. You know, and, and I believe it so much that I think Ethereum could be $10,000. It could be. So what probably whatever price you're paying in Ethereum for that thing at that time is always going to be the high watermark. So mm-hmm. as far as an investment, that that is like got to be worse odds than a scratch off. well i think everything here that we play with has bad odds in perpetuity right or at least in the long term just because it's such a crapshoot i mean i think about all these art movements of the past right and just the names that have stood the tests of time right i think about this a lot but like dali is the surrealist painter that most people know it wasn't the only surrealist painter there were you know there's the one that everybody knows, the say seven that maybe most, you know, art people know. And then there's hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of imitators who their work, you know, whatever arbitrary metrics of quality we use to look at them, to, you know, qualify them, they could be great, they could be not great, but they were still making artwork around this time and probably in the same vein, probably in the same cultural centers. The, Paris's of the world, um, you know, in the twenties and thirties and yet historical importance kind of coalesces into a dozen figures and really into like two or three. So in terms of, you know, the 10 year time horizon of crypto or what we're doing right now, I, I even see it in kind of the, um, the language that a lot of the big collectors will use in trying to, trying to bolster the importance of the artists they're collecting against what is essentially like the ravaging force of time, right? That is going to just come in and cut everyone off at the knees. And it's impossible to know who's going to be tallest. Would it be, you know, the Claire Silvers, the X copies, the, you know, DK motions, potentially all or any of them, but totally unpredictable, right? We have no idea what 10 years from now, the stylistic importance of this movement is going to be, whether people will even care about the style or whether it will just kind of coalesce into the importance of minting whether the mocha idea of preserving these early artists, whether that will be borne out or whether that will be totally forgotten. And you bring up a lot of good points. It's oh, frankly, there's like, I have no basis to begin to even assess like the technical quality of the art. And frankly, I'm not even sure 
if that matters, and I'm not really sure what matters. What was really, really nice in the beginning is that you had like more artists collecting other artists, which was a truer signal as to kind of like the respect that they would show each other. And that was something you could very much like follow on. Um, you know, I think that was a much better indicator of how an artist would do and progress and, and be perceived than like which collectors they had collected, right? Mm -hmm. But there is for sure an ego about the collector, an arrogance that when they go like kind of spouting these things online, it, it, to me, it feels very hollow. It actually turns me off to, to the artists uh, a lot of the time. So let me ask you a couple questions because I think that when you know you and I talk, when the Mocha team talks, even in a chat like this, there's there's a distance it feels to me between yourself and these other collectors. When, in terms of just collection, right? You know, how many months have you been the number one collector on Super Rare? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I don't know. At least a, a year a and a half. Yeah. And yet you are very cagey about um, the work that you collect. Um, you know, you don't do the promotion that I think a lot of these other collectors do of the work that they're collecting, unless you really love it. So I'm wondering, you know, when you're collecting in this kind of market or just over the last year or so, right, where there's so much artwork, what catches your eye? That's what I'm saying, man. I've, I've, I've lost the plot. Mm. You know, it's, it's, um, there are some things like, you know, the, my open sea history is public. It's not like I'm collecting anywhere else. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. Everything seems expensive. Like when I started, everything was, you know, I collected 300 pieces on super rare for like an average price of 300 bucks. So now everything just feels expensive. Well, I mean, when you're like, when you find an artwork, is it because you're attracted to the artist? Because you have a relationship with the artist? Is it purely aesthetics? No, and it's rarely aesthetics, actually. Mm. Um, it's rarely aesthetics. Uh, it is about like the whole package, right? It's about who that person is, like what they're representing, their commitment to this you know, I still think the most important thing in all of this is like the expression of individual sovereignty and creativity and somebody that is like pushing the limits and is being very fearless. And I want to like be right alongside that person who is leading that, you know, mm. I'm, I'm not really looking for like the most technically accomplished person right now, because that's when you start to play with big numbers and that is entirely speculative. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's I think it's the sweetest thing in the world to like be there first with somebody and give them that chance and say that, like, you are seen your art might be considered outside by most people, but really it should be inside. And I think that's what the message here needs to be, is that there are like more valid forms of, of creativity, of self-expression, of like individuality that, that we get to express and share. Um, like even outside of, I think the, you know, the market should 100% be secondary to like the, the act of creation, like the, the signing of the mint, like the, the ownership that this is the thing that you've done. Uh, somehow the market became the message when really there's like an incredible power. And this is something that you've 
created and you're putting it like to the internet. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. I, um, I wonder, uh, as I think we all wonder, and I think our opinions probably change in this all the time, but you know, when we're talking about investing in art based on these ambiguous metrics, right? When the technical brilliance is not the exclusive, um, you know, maker of the market, right? Who's more responsible for, you know, the directions of the market and who's more responsible for the individual, you know, achievement of any given artist. I hate, I hate this idea that like all this stuff has to go onto the artist. And I love the idea that the collectors of art have some hand in making sure that the artists they're collecting, you know, have a lengthy career. Although even that has these kind of more overt investment connotations that I kind of shiver at. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just finite. Like the money is finite. The attention span is finite. And, you know, it's really, you know, where I am right now is like synthesized, distill, 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 like try and get to the point. And am I going to sit here and say like any individual artist here is more important than anybody else? No, like I was interested in the broader return of, of like economic rights and sovereignty to this group of people. And that seems to have happened. Right. But do I really want to go and start like picking and choosing? No, I don't. I don't personally think I'm qualified. <laughs> right. And I think that any collector now that says they're qualified to like begin to make that determination, I can point you to pockets that I think are like pure brilliance and pure genius. And it's unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And I know like when having a conversation with people who are doubtful that might be in the art world, like, places to begin to show them that like speak to real artistry and like real mastery and something that is very unique to the medium and could only be expressed here. Um, what was the first artwork you ever uh, collected? At least crypto artwork. It was, rather. It was a, well, I mean, outside of uh, like the work I was collecting on additional, it was, uh, it was a Miss Al Simpson piece. It was called Lady Luck. Mm. What attracted you to it? inexplicable i have no idea i have no sure. idea what possibly compelled me to buy it mm -hmm. you know it's like a lady in a fedora lounging on like a glitched background interesting yeah yeah it's um i love miss l simpson's work but i think she's indicative It's a tough place for your internet to cut out. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. That's just going to happen every 20 minutes That's, for the rest of well, my life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what were you saying? I love her too. Yeah, uh, I love her work. But I think that it's these little, they're these artists, right, that exist in these little pockets. I think you mentioned them, right? Like Fabien Rashid, I think Arc uh, 4G, I think like Norman Harriman, Miss Al Simpson. It's like they have such respect, such, and they're so technically accomplished and brilliant. We've been here for so long. Right. But I, I see the admiration for these artists existing only in these small pockets. Right. And it, like you said, where at the beginning it was these artists who were financially supporting these other artists. Now I see it as almost it's like um, it's like life support, not life support. That's very, very exaggerative. But when I see people tweeting at, you know, Miss L. Simpson, it's Coldy, it's X copy, it's Robness. Right. It's the people who were there alongside Miss L. Simpson at the beginning who are recognizing the brilliance. I mean, I always hate using Twitter followers or even social media followers as a 
denotation of success because they're completely non-correlated. But you can definitely see where the zeitgeist is based on, you know, people's followers. And you see these brilliant artists. And I remember when I was going through the Genesis collection piece by piece, seeing this artwork that consistently hit me as different than anything I'd seen out there, yeah. right? So beautiful. Arc 4G is the perfect example of that. I think their work is absolutely brilliant. And yet there's just this lack of, I don't know, a, a, I guess social buzz around this class of artists. It's like everyone has moved on to the next pretty thing. I'm concerned for the pretty things of today. Not that their work will ever not be pretty, but I'm concerned what will happen in just in terms of their um, pessimism when two years from now, the next cycle of collectors or however long from now, the next cycle of collectors comes in, anoints some other people. And then, you know, we're having this conversation about people who today are commanding, you know, 30 ETH sales, you know, once a month. I mean, the arc 4G story is just like an incredible, incredible story. And the art is phenomenal. Um, and what they were able to do to like, support themselves and their family was was absolutely brilliant you know i had the pleasure of of meeting his sister and getting to spend some time with her in los angeles and uh yeah i would encourage if people don't know that artist definitely to, to check out that artist and, and dig in as much as you can to who they are and, and what they've done yeah we, we love arc 4g um yeah it's just it's it's I think it's interesting. I do think we're sitting on a precipice of sorts um, because I think it's untenable that the market will continue to only support a handful of artists day by day. Um, I do think that our market is like any other market and that there is the supply and the demand as it's like fundamental features and the supply is going down. You know, there are just less and less artists that people are interested in collecting. At some point, demand is going to go back up for collecting artists. So you were talking about something. We had mentioned it before we went live about uh, the new Yuga drop, right? And about like where interest is in this space, where it's going, and how it seems like there's a bit of an identity crisis going on. Would you want to just talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, how, how far we've fallen, right? How, how <laughs> far we've fallen, Uh it was gross to begin with. It's 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 worse now, you know. I there was like a real movement of, uh, you know, I, I, I'll say it again and again, like artistic sovereignty, empowerment, like market restructuring, the promise of um, people being able to like make and create and uh, do new things, and then it's like, no, here's like a monkey shitting in an outhouse, you know, and like they open a time portal like it when things at the highest level when this is like representative of the space that shit just spreads over everything and you cannot really wash like the stink or smear of that <laughs> off like i'm i'm serious it like it yeah. affects all the art and it makes everything look shitty that falls under this umbrella of nfts and like how sustainable is this and like do is this really what people want? I find that so sad, right? I, I like if this is what is being talked about, if this is what is being assigned financial value, like come on, you know, it's it's sad. 
Well, I mean, I think that we're still in this paradigm, right? You know, what do people want? People still are concerned primarily with money. And I think we can sing until the cry till the cows come home about, you know, we're here for the art. You know, that's what matters. And I think a lot of collectors, a lot of artists, a lot of just, you know, figures in this space are constantly talking about it's art first, it's art first. And I think it's just naive to say that because I don't think art has ever been art first, at least not since like the seventies or eighties. And at least not since I've been alive, you know, when I hear news about art, it's only in terms of price, right? Price or some monumental fuck up, right? Like I'll see a Renaissance painting that in the process of restoration has been totally destroyed, right? Almost like this reality show level of, you know, cynical Scheidenfreude, right? And I'll see, you know, Jeff Koons selling a giant balloon animal for $50 million. I don't know what kind of Scheidenfreude that is, but I think it's part of the same principle. But I think it's naive to say that this whole thing is um, unrelated to price. I mean, I, I think the artists before they used to like exist outside of capital. They used to have like free flowing ideas. They would meet in salons or they would meet in bars and like, uh, and things would be like more wild and free. And it, it just doesn't feel like anything exists outside of like the purview of capital. Like people go whatever to Burning Man to take their Instagram photo to, to do this thing and say they were there. People go to the event to like publicize it and gain influence, which then they can try and use to monetize. Mm -hmm. Like it's, there is, there is such a like dearth of authenticity. And mm -hmm. that was what was so attractive in the beginning is that there was no capital really around the creation. People were really expressing themselves. But once you start to move into a place like away from one of one art into a place of like open edition, then it, it so much of like that, that beauty, that authentic creation just gets kind of reduced. You know, I have a, so just admission time for the people, not the, not the Mocha team, but I love Solana. That's where I like got my start in NFTs is on the Solana ecosystem. And I still do, you know, degen hood rat shit there. Um, but I have a buddy who works uh, in the Solana ecosystem and he, we were talking about, wallets right and how any wallet right whether it's phantom on solana or metamask or i'm sure there are others but wallets right they're made to transact right like that is what when you first open one of these wallets it is telling you your balance it's buy send and receive right or the first kind of icons that are actually put forth in front of you right i mean the fact that you can't even view nfts in metamask today or desktop MetaMask is ridiculous. Like how long have we been at this? Um, but these wallets, right? The physical tools that we're using to um, access basically the whole holistic crypto experience, NFT experience are about transactions, right? And what happens if we change the idea of, you know, a wallet from transactions to collections, right? Because there's just no reason. There's no specific reason why, Owning one of 10,000 board apes is seen as more of a status symbol than wanting, um, sorry, owning one of, you know, 10,000 open editions by X artist, right? Like we can say it's because of the individuality or the profile picture, but that's, I think, a tenuous connection at best um, and is very, it feels very fad influenced. 
I guess, why not, why are these artworks of any kind not treated as much more status symbols than I think they are, right? Why is the interest in the cartoonish shit? Why is the interest in the, you know, collectible trading card shit? Um, it's not like that in the real world, you know, out in the physical world, right? You are not cool if you own a bunch of Pokemon cards. I mean, you're cool to me, but you're not cool generally. <laughs> but if you own, you know, some artistry from an artist whose name I cannot remember, but whose aesthetics I'm sure we all have in mind, um, that's so much more socially accepted as clout. It's just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I understand where why people invest in what they do at the moment or why people put their time and energy into things like whatever Yuga Labs is dropping because it's worth, it's going to be worth whatever it's going to be worth. I understand that of course, but why is it going to be worth more? Where's the impetus? I mean, I'll say like we were, we were really going somewhere as humans, right? COVID came in, <laughs> it shook it, like shook this whole thing up. We were meeting in digital spaces. People were like sick of Zoom calls. We wanted like a spatial web. We wanted to be in artistic places. If we were gonna be spending so much time in front of a screen, like trapped indoors, we wanted beautiful places, right? And now we've kind of like come back or maybe normalized or like have just generally adopted like a fuck it, this thing is staying attitude. Um, and there's not like, I don't, see that as a driver anymore it did it just it just somehow became more about money right there there was like a a real sense that we were like going to enter and be immersed and people would have like the power to create and share and these things would be everywhere they wouldn't be like confined into a wallet because, of course, like the MetaMask browser extension probably isn't the place you want to be viewing your artwork, you know, mm -hmm. like go into VR, go design that scene. It's way easier than you could ever imagine. Like those those first trips into Somnium were insane. Like anybody who's done that will tell you even like just first experiences with VR is incredibly powerful. It induces an incredible amount of like empathy. And there is like a realness and a tactonis and an experience to those artworks and seeing them like that or not on your phone, not, that was that was really, really powerful and really was changing. Well, I think that you're hitting on something that I think about a lot, which is the way that crypto art in general is proceed, its development is preceding the development of the displays that are needed to make it, to make ownership of it feel real. Yeah. So I think about like, uh, the board apes, right? Just the quintessential example, all the PFPs, there is a place to display that, right? Your Twitter picture makes sense. It's a place to display that, you know, whatever your social you know, milieu is like there, there's the quote unquote utility, right? Is I can put it here and look at it. Right. And other people will be able to look at, look at it if I put it here, right? Just the same way that, you know, um, MoMA put a Rafik Anadol in their lobby, right? Here's a place to look at this art that other people can see it, right? And I think we're going to see in the next couple of years with um, you know, virtual world development, I think VRM objects are gonna have a very similar trajectory. Virtual objects are gonna have a similar trajectory. Let's, let's talk about profile pictures because I, I've been thinking about this <laughs> a lot, right? Like web two was entirely take the person 
make them static and make that person a personal brand, mm-hmm. right? This was like a total importation of just web two thinking, right? Like you have to choose your profile picture and then you have to like stay that person, right? I think that is incredibly antithetical to, to web three thinking. And I think, you know, there's a generation younger than us that is like fed up with like individuality associated with personal brand. They want fluidity of identity. I think like we feel this too. Like we want to be able to change. We want to be able to like have opinions, have expressions. We don't want to be like trapped into this one thing. And I think that the PFP phenomenon also was like incredibly deleterious to people like becoming more of themselves and suddenly they had like the ease and the comfort to say, no, we are, we're in this community together. And because we're all like our own virtuous marketing cycle, um, you know, we're, we're going to make it, we're all going to make it like. So is this really interesting social experiment of sorts happening on Solana? And I promise I'm, I'm not just pumping Solana's bags. There is interesting stuff that happens over there for the ETH people listening, but there's this guy or gal, there's a person, uh, LT Lollipop is what they are on Twitter. And they've been, there's a project, one of the first NFT projects on Solana was called uh, Solana Monkey Business. It's pixelated monkeys. I'm sure you've seen them. They're very cute. Um, there's a huge disconnect between the community of people who own them and the developers who seem, at least by some um, viewpoints, to be just siphoning all the royalties away from the project and just basically cashing out, right? A lot of animosity. So this person has been buying um, these SMB NFTs and just burning them outright, right? Spending lots of money and just burning them outright, including their own profile picture. And had this thread about, you know, I don't need to own this NFT, right? Because the NFT is actually a visual identifier of me, right? So it doesn't matter that anybody owns this this piece, right, that, or that it even exists because people identify, you know, this orange-skinned monkey wearing a sombrero as me, right? Mm. And it's this it basically making a lot more conceptual the link between a person and their profile picture. Um, it takes the ownership out of the thing and it puts the, I guess, onus of ownership on the community that is viewing that sense of ownership. I mean, people forget that, like, when CryptoPunk started pumping robin has bought one and burned one uh mm-hmm. it was like not very cool within like <laughs> the the circle of artists to to be associate to like associate your name and self with wealth and it's you know somehow like that the that one somehow that one the idea that like <laughs> yeah i don't know crazy so, crazy. Somebody somewhere is going to create an oral history of CryptoPunks, right? Tracing who bought them, where they went, Robness burning it, our uh, un- untitled XYZ who works at the museum. I think he bought three when they launched and then gave one as a wedding present. Um, claimed, yeah, yeah. You know, or claimed rather, sorry. Um, but I I imagine there are all these stories. I wonder how much wealth and influence in Web3 today came from the arbitrary transfer of these nfts before they were anything man moderate 2018 moderate sent me like a, a 1 of 50 edition of x copy there was like uh you know what's that worth now like forty thousand bucks mm-hmm. he sent it to like 20 people just one day randomly 
if Moderats is listening, he should feel free to send <laughs> me one of fifty X copy as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was cool. You know, it was civil. It was nice. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it seems hearing you talk about it, hearing some of the artists talk about it, a lot more communal, um, a lot more community based. I think people talk a lot about community these days, but it's this. There's a very it doesn't seem like there's a general community. It seems like there are communities around a specific artist or around a specific project and they're very internally motivated. Yeah, it was centered. It was, it was everybody really just like trying to do this thing together. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course, once the thing kind of happened, well, I'm sure there's a ton of disparate opinions now of, of to like, how do we proceed and how do we steward this and how do we, and people, I'm sure most people don't even want to deal with the fallout, right? Mm -hmm. It is, I, I, you cannot, people ask me what I do. I, I don't tell people what I do. You know how like terrible that is? That's the first question you always get in America. What do you do? Mm, it's true. Hate that question. That question sucks. Stop asking that question. people. And I think, <laughs> I think things, I think these things seep out of, where they are in our community structure and into our, like how we view the world. Like, I think the fact that MetaMask is mostly transactional, I think it's important for how we view the space. And when people ask, what do you do as the primary identifier of who you are? We internalize that, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that those things become more than just conversational nuance. They become, you know, our perspective of the world. Um, uh, it, it's yeah. a, it's identity formation tied to capital again you know it's like how how do you earn your living i'm going to instantly judge you based on that yeah um well we've been talking for 45 minutes i think um we should pick up our discussion of identity based and cultural capital next week i do have some questions for you though before we go yeah hit me. you got it who you got for the uh football games this weekend Oh, who's in it? Who's playing? You know, I Bro. called that Jacksonville comeback. That was tight. Who do I got for the... I did. I did. All right, Jacksonville versus Kansas City. Who you got? Yeah, Kansas City. That one's easy. Eagles-Giants. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with Untitled Eagles. I like the Eagles all year. All right, 49ers-Cowboys. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Cowboys. And then uh, Bengals, Bills, and a battle of the bees. I, I, I love the Bungles. All right. Well, you heard him here. First Colborne <laughs> Bells NFL picks for the divisional round of the Those, playoffs. Yeah. Somebody, par somebody put $100 on that 14 parlay. Yeah. And then give us a cut. Right. Exactly. We That's will not reimburse if you lose, but we will take a cut <laughs> if you win. All right. Well, thank you everyone for uh, joining us. Colborn, you got anything else to say to the people? No, no, this was fun, man. Thanks for putting this together. We'll, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Next week we'll be going through our tax returns. So stay tuned. Um, and we love you very much. See ya.